Welcome to episode 13 of Tukul Story with me, Janaki Brolin. As I record this episode, it is the middle of July and the Swedish summer vacation is in full swing. This summer, when few Swedes can travel abroad, holidaymakers are flocking to domestic tourist destinations. The Swedish mountains are being invaded by hikers, mountain bikers, and companies selling camping equipment are certainly enjoying a boom of pandemic proportions. The Swedish mountains are geologically speaking much older than the Himalayas. Closer to the North Pole, the flattened, wind-swept heights can make for treacherous living conditions. Yet these mountains, with their abundant lakes and unique flora, were once home to the indigenous Swedes, now known as the Samis. Undiscerning political decisions made in the 18th and 19th centuries curtailed the movement of the Samis. Controversial race policies during the 1900s forced many Samis to adapt their way of life, descend from the mountains and assimilate into urban life, deemed civilised by the Swedish majority. Today, as modern holidaymakers flock to Samiland to escape from their urban lives, many actively seek out destinations without mobile phone connection, without electricity or running water. Fishing and gathering berries, finding wild mushrooms, are respectable holiday activities, which doctors, lawyers, Tesla-wielding entrepreneurs love to boast about. In this part of the world, the hunter-gatherer subsistence way of life is a privilege. In many other parts of the world, for many people, it is still the only way of life available. After a few days orientating ourselves in Ghat, we set off for CTL. This small village was located about 20 kilometers higher up the Nandakini Valley and could be accessed with the help of a shared jeep taxi. Our jeep rattled along a gravel road cut from the edge of the mountain as fast as it could. Rocky outcrops jutted out from the mountain and hung over us from the right while the edge of the road dropped down steeply into the river valley, far below to our left. The road was wide enough for the jeep, but no wider. Our driver drove us at a speed just fast enough to make us feel unsafe. We had piled all our belongings, including the newly purchased gas stove, onto the roof of the jeep taxi, fastened together with bundles and bags belonging to the other passengers. At one sharp bend, the vehicle tilted dangerously, its outer wheels only just clinging to the gravel road. I overheard one of our co-passengers, a young lad in his teens perhaps, mumble to his neighbour, Hiram, I'm not even married yet, the worry in his eyes implying that he wasn't ready to die just yet. The driver, however, seemed unflustered and determined all the way. In just under an hour, we arrived at the village of Sitiel. 
Here even the gravel road narrowed to just a path. Villages higher up the valley, only accessible by foot, or on the back of mules. We stepped off the jeep to find ourselves in the cradle of a lush, green valley. Huts and small houses dotted the hillside all around us, each cluster of houses surrounded by neatly cut step-farming fields. The jeep had stopped next to a small tea stall, and we joined the group of villagers who had gathered here, and we settled down with a cup of chai each. A volunteer from the NGO was supposed to meet us here later in the day and show us to our accommodation. We had a long chat with curious village boys and I learned that this would be how we were going to find our way into the communities here. Chatting to the locals over a cup of tea, telling them about us and finding out about them. The village representative, Mr. Singh, came just as the sun was setting and he had the key to our room. This was a square concrete room with a concrete floor a few metres away from the river. We began making a new home here. Within a, an hour we had created a kitchen area, a sleeping area and a bathroom area and we were delighted. We bought items for dinner that went for a much-awaited swim in the river. About half a kilometre outside the village we found an excellent secluded spot where the waters were calm. The village dog followed us all the way here as if to keep an eye on us, and he would become our new friend for the next few weeks. This was to become our regular bathing spot for our stay here. We had dal and fried potatoes, made patiently on our gas stove, and our little room was turning into a home. Per and I were keen to try and set up a few school camps while here. We had come from Ghat, armed with only 15 deworming tablets and the seethale stocks were low, so handing out medicines at a school camp was not an option. So we wondered if we could do something as simple as recording the height and weight of as many children as possible in a few villages. Also, we could do medical checks on any children who showed to have obvious health problems or had come to the teacher's attention. Our aim was to create a baseline database for the NGO which they could build on at a later date. With the clinic's weighing scales in Pear's bag and a borrowed measuring tape from the local village shop, we set off at 11 o'clock on a Friday to visit the villages of Gulari and Vaduk, three and five kilometres along the road. We had made a list of all the villagers named volunteers and intended to make contact with them first. Along the way we caught some beautiful glimpses of the mountains and the walk was pleasant. We decided then that at the end of our stay here we would walk the 20 kilometres to Ghat rather than risk our lives in an old jeep on a treacherous road. At Gulari, a shopwala offered to take us into the village to meet the local midwife. I was surprised to see how big this village was, clusters and clusters of neat slate houses appeared as we climbed the shady steep hillside. Children and women peered from their doorstep and we were greeted with numerous namastes. As we reached the top, both of us out of breath, we came across the village temple. Under a huge ancient tree, a colourful canopy had been erected and most of the village was gathered here. 
It was the start of the nine-day festival to worship the mother goddess, Bhagavati. We had arrived on an auspicious day. We sat in the ceremony for a while. A friendly girl studying in Joshimath explained to us what was going on. We were handed herbal leaves, a bit like mountain tulsi, which we later offered to the goddess. The midwife at this village was an interesting elderly lady. She spoke no Hindi, her mother tongue being Garhwali, and her grandchildren were too shy to translate. We learned that she was the oldest midwife in this area and that she was called to deliver babies to several nearby villages such as Jokna and Sipiel. She insisted we eat lunch before leaving and this was to be our first visit inside a traditional Garhwali home. We were led into the dark, tiny mud house and up a narrow staircase to a clean, bare, cow dung painted room. Here, a large mat was placed on the floor and we enjoyed a simple meal of rice, dal and pickle. Before we left, she showed us her midwife kit provided by our NGO. It had in it a plastic sheet, a bottle of disinfectant and a few other consumables. We left with the impression that this friendly midwife had a respectable standing in the village and was perhaps not amenable to modern ideas and change. We paid our respects at the temple before setting off for Vaduk, another kilometre away. We were met here by Ganeshi Devi, a younger but perhaps less friendly midwife. We felt a more sceptical welcome this time. She was disappointed that we had no medications with us. Her complaints all of which were valid, included the absence of scissors in the delivery pack to cut the cord with, a lack of weighing scales despite being trained on the course to weigh all newborns, and the unfulfilled promise of providing Doppler machines. Further, the distribution of contraceptives had been intermittent, and on questioning she said that a supply would be welcome. We promised to start off by holding a school camp at the primary school and urged the women of the village to attend. The school teacher was amenable and the third day of May was set as a suitable date. The following day, we visited the village of Giri, where we met with some more volunteers from our NGO who introduced me to a group of women who wanted health advice. I learned from them that Safiyat Pani, or white vaginal discharge, was the main and quite a common medical complaint amongst the women here. It appears to be related to poor menstrual hygiene. Cloth is used here for sanitary napkins and wearing underwear is not common. Washing and bathing is difficult due to the river being at a distance away down several very steep slopes and the water of course is extremely cold in the winter. It was useful for me to learn a little about the lifestyle habits here and the obstructions to good hygiene practice. Later in the evening, we took a little stroll around the village of Sipiel. Rising up the hillside, it emerged to be a beautiful village, with old slate houses, some of which had intricately carved wooden doors. The view of the cultivated hillside in the late afternoon light was pretty. The village, however, was quiet, with most people out in the fields or picking leaves for cattle field in the forest. We had arranged for a meeting of the CPL Adolescent Girls Group in the evening. The setting up of this new group had been facilitated by the NGO, 
and they tried to meet once a month, I'd been told. After a slow beginning, with a group of very quiet, shy girls, they finally started to speak. Once I began drawing a diagram of a uterus, fallopian tubes and ovaries, I certainly had their attention. They crowded around my simple diagram and listened attentively. Despite being aged 13 to 17 years and all at school, they were ignorant about the biology of the menstrual cycle. So this was a good starting point and led on to allow me to talk about the causes of secondary amenorrhea, methods and importance of menstrual hygiene and diet. Malnutrition and intense physical activity are causes of secondary amenorrhea in young girls in these parts. The girls were shy but did take the messages home. And by the end of the evening they displayed for me two Garwali folk dances. I realised that I was thoroughly going to enjoy my work here as a voluntary health worker over the coming weeks.